Hey, good morning. I might seem a bit taller to you this morning. That's because they've risen the pulpit by six inches. Someone said, Rusty, you you look like you're going to have back problems leaning over that thing. And somebody might have saved me from having back problems. So isn't this nice, having a nice tall pulpit? It is for me. So uh, to the man who fixed it, thank you very much. Uh, turning your Bibles, if you would, we're going we're gonna to step away from 2 Peter this week and look at Hebrews 10, verses 25 to 26, which we will do such things sometimes. Hebrews 10, 25 and 26, and we're going we're gonna to look at the idea of encouragement. Well, what is biblical encouragement? Hebrews 10, well, we're really going to start around 24. You know, encouragement is, is very difficult, isn't it? Because often we are not just thinking about the effects that our words might have on other people as we say them. But the Bible doesn't. The Bible says a lot about it and thinks a lot about it. Listen just a few Proverbs. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 12.25 Good words can make an anxious heart glad. 16.24 Pleasant words are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And so the question I want to ask for you and for me is what does it mean for you and for myself to encourage other people spiritually and to take that quite seriously. Well, let's read Hebrews chapter 10. I'm actually going to start at verse 19 and just read down to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Ah, Lord, we praise you that you are three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we need all aspects of the Trinity. The Father who reigns supreme over all things, decreeing as the King does all things in his kingdom, the Son who accomplishes the Father's will, who came down to take upon himself my judgment so that I might be sprinkled clean like this text says, and the Holy Spirit who regenerates my heart and puts a new heart and comes and fills me. Lord, and so I just praise you for that, and I pray that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would be glorified during this time, and Lord, we would understand more the calling of encouragement And as a church, Father, we would take quite seriously the words we say and how we approach people. Lord, we pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Now, my wife, a few years ago, ran the um, Chicago Marathon. Any marathon runners here? I'm just waiting for, is there one hand? Yes, I see two. Half, half counts, half counts. So my wife was running the Chicago Marathon and she trained for a long time to do it. And she got prepared and it was, a, it was this huge, as you know, just an absolute epic run. And so let's just say that I wanted to encourage her. And so she had about five miles to go, right Jen? And um, her partner in the race blew out his knee. And so he's limping along, and she said about that point she was struggling with exhaustion. And now I wasn't there, but let's just say I was. And I came along beside her, and I said, oh, you're doing awesome, and you look great. You can do it. I'm praying for you. Come on, five more miles. She'd feel encouraged, wouldn't she, to finish the race. Now, what if... She came around, she had five miles to go, and I took a different approach. I said, ah, honey, it's not going so well for you. Look, maybe your calling is not running. You're not very good. In fact, you're way in the back of the pack. Almost everybody is in front of you. Look, let's just go to McDonald's. Come on, get in the car, let's go. <laughs> this is not for you. And her response would be, ah, oh, Okay, well, maybe McDonald's does sound pretty good right now. You see, and what if when confronted, someone's there, you're there, and you say, Rusty, how could you say that to your wife? She's running this marathon. And my response to you is, I just want to be honest. I, I didn't want her to think too much of herself. It's true, she's in the back one-third. I didn't want her to be set up for failure, and she did great anyway. Now, now, we would think those are ridiculous arguments, right? And you would never do that. For such discouraging language would hinder someone from finishing the race. But in our Christian world, we often come beside someone who is struggling, and that's exactly the type of stuff we give them. In Hebrews 10, there is a command to you, and the command is to me, to consider, to think about, how to stir up fellow believers through encouragement. In other words, Christ is calling us to be deeply involved from beginning to end in people's lives. I find, though, often our involvement in our language is not in the form of biblical encouragement, but rather it's in the form of criticism, analysis, gossip. You're not doing so well. Our interest is often lacking encouragement. The truth is, my friends, most people are hurting more deeply than you know. And their relationship with Christ and the church is the only place they receive healing and hope and encouragement. And God has given you and he's given me the task of encouraging them in this race that he set before them, of following them and persevering to the end. Now, one of the major obstacles in becoming an encourager, I find is our desire for self-satisfaction, I'll call it, or self-glory in our conversation. What I mean is, most don't come to church with the intention of providing encouragement to others. It's often not on our radar. 
Most come with a desire to just have their own needs fulfilled. So imagine two people in a conversation. Usually the person that's speaking is talking to someone, and often that person is looking off, thinking about something else, and then when this person stops, he jumps back in. And what you have is these two people that are dialogue, and it's a monologue, and they're just talking about themselves. Very little about biblical encouragement in Christ. When a response is given, it is often in the form of criticism or advice. So often our fellowship is warm enough, but usually not full of biblical encouragement to help people persevere. Not being pushed to finish the race. And the result is sometimes we come to church and we feel quite discouraged. Or we get together with believers. And we feel like, where's the grace in that? So how do we encourage brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, here's the main idea today. Encouragement happens when motivated by love, you target someone's needs with your words. Encouragement takes place. The encouragement that God calls us to, and it happens when motivated by love, you target someone's needs with your words. Make sense? Okay, there's three things, and we'll dive into them. First is, we must encourage each other with our words. And... We're going to start by looking at Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. We must encourage each other with our words. Point one. Rusty, what do you mean by encouragement? I want to give you a definition. Expressions that help someone want to follow Christ more even when life is tough. Expressions of truth that help someone want to follow and know Christ more. Press into Christ even when life is difficult. Every Christian, regardless of gifts or training or age, is called to encourage people, especially when we meet together. The idea is not to master conversational techniques. In seminary, we were often invited to counseling students' houses, and we felt like guinea pigs. And we would go in, and we'd have this great meal, and then after dinner, they would press into us, and they'd say, now, Tell me about your relationship with your father. Now, Rusty, I think there's something that you're not telling me here. And we'd be like, oh, brother. Conversational techniques often. Encouragement is not about conversational techniques. It's not communication techniques. So how do we encourage? Ephesians 4.29. And to all the counselors in the room, I really appreciate you and all the work that you do. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Notice this, my friends. Every word out of our mouths are to be consistent in building up our listeners. This is the object of our words to encourage other Christians spiritually when we're together. So, we're not permitted to utter anything that does not build them up. It does not help them grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, notice, it doesn't tell us what words to say or don't say. It doesn't say only praise words, no convicting words. That's not the point. It doesn't say the end of every one of your sentences must be, oh, praise the Lord, or oh, bless your heart, or you are a blessing to me. 
but it gives us the motivation behind our conversation when it says encourage them to meet the need of the moment. We have words for men and women to meet their particular needs. In other words, if a man or a woman has just lost their spouse, my encouragement is going to be one way as compared to a man or a woman who's just had an affair on their spouse. And so it's saying that our encouragement to them must meet the moment. And therefore, it's not just rogue. God is calling you to be an encourager. It doesn't mean learn neat communication tricks. But when your motivation with people is to lovingly meet their needs with the word, with truth, real encouragement happens. So what I'm saying is you don't have to be a professional. God gives us all we need. Several years ago, I had one of the most encouraging conversations I've ever had, and I, I couldn't actually tell you anything that was said to me. I, I was at General Assembly, which is the National Assembly of our denomination, and there's a lot of really big, well-known pastors there. Guys like Arsprey Sproul and Tim Keller, and, and I was just roaming through the bookstalls, and I ran across a guy named Jay Scalar, who was my Hebrew professor years before. And I'm talking to him, and I was really struggling at the time with a, a small church and a lot of difficulties and a lot of challenges. And at one point, I said, Jay, look, you're so busy, and there's other people that you want to talk to, and I'm going to just let you go talk to them. And I want to read to you what he said to me. He said, Rusty, I learned long ago that I was not going to play the field when I am here at a big conference. But whoever the Lord gives me to speak with, I will give them my full attention and ask God to help me encourage them. And for 30 minutes, he listened to me. He asked intentional questions about my life. He spoke truth to me and ministered to me. And then at the end, he laid hands on me and prayed for me. It was exactly what a struggling pastor needed to hear. Now, for us, if we're honest, this is hard, isn't it? To want to lovingly meet the needs of the Christian brother or sister who talks too much. Or the sister who God uses in such remarkable ways that you feel jealous and prideful about them. We sometimes just want to put people in their place with our words. We want to point out their imperfections so they don't get too prideful. We want to move on to more meaningful conversations and more, quote-unquote, important people. So we don't take time to allow God or the Holy Spirit to use our words to minister to their needs and to the occasion that they might find themselves in. The Bible is calling us to ruthless self-examination why you say what you say. We must ask myself or ourselves, are our words encouraging this brother or sister, giving them grace, building them up, and meeting their needs at this time? We're never permitted to disregard the effect our words may have on another. Jesus even said something quite powerful in Matthew 12. People will give an account of every careless word that's spoken. Words are important. Point two. Encouragement happens when motivated by love. We target someone's needs with our words. Here's the second thing. We must be concerned about encouragement. Verse 24 in Hebrews 10 now. If you'll flip there in your Bibles, Hebrews 10, 24. 
go ahead and read that. And let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. Do you see those words there? Let us consider. It means something like be concerned about this. Care about this. My friends, put your minds on this. Reflect about this. Really think about it. We just moved to town, as you know, and for months we reflected on buying a house. I, I really thought about it. You know, do I want a house on wheels? Do I want a modular home? Do I want a, a home that's um, got a foundation, a basement? I had to really think about these things. What do we want? What kind of neighborhood do we want to live in? And that's the type of language he's using here. Reflect. Reflect. Think about. Consider what, you say. Notice your words there in the Bible. How to stir one another up towards love and good works. See, at the heart of encouragement is this word to stir up, to stimulate, to motivate, to provoke in a given direction. And the idea is coming along beside someone, a fellow believer, who is in a race, who's on a journey, with words that encourage them to press into Jesus despite whatever obstacles or fatigue they might have in their life. Now, our motivating words are to have a direction that we point people in. Notice those, love and good deeds. We are to consider very seriously how to motivate, stir up fellow believers towards loving Christ and good deeds. It, and you say, okay, Rusty, is this really that important? Can't I just come to church and talk about how awesome Alabama played last night or how Auburn played? Well, yeah, you can talk about those things, absolutely. But this is really that important. Keep Proverbs 28, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. My friends, your words can either be life words, full of encouragement that leads to great spiritual life, or death words which tear down and destroy and separate people from Jesus. Here is where the ministry of encouragement starts for us. When you are with other Christians at a church, in a small group, at Burden Bean Coffee Shop, or at a Wednesday night event, or wherever you are, you are to consider how you might be used to stir them up, to push them on towards loving Christ and good deeds. Always, therefore, away from selfishness and sinfulness. There's a little-known Christian speaker, or I'm sorry, a well-known Christian speaker, and he tells the story that years ago he was in a, a church like this one and the pastor calls on him to pray. And he's maybe seven or eight years old, something like that. And he's shaking in his boots to do it. And he prays absolute heresy. Thank you, Father, for dying on the cross for us. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being raised from the grave and he says amen and he just puts his head down in shame and he thinks I'm never ever speaking in church again and as soon as the benediction's given he is out the door and there's an elder at the back waiting for him knowing, knowing what was going to happen and these were his words he said this he grabbed him by the arm and said Larry there's one thing I want you to know son Whatever you do for the Lord, I am behind you a thousand percent. Those words he said were full of love. They were aimed at his need at the moment, his shame, and encouraged him to love and good deeds. And today I hear him on the radio all the time speaking. 
Now, one of the great differences between being an encouraged church and a discouraged church is what the people are considering, what you are considering when you get together. Often our thoughts are on just having the right music, what everybody's wearing, do I like the music, is this person here, is that person here? And so while people are talking, our, miles, our minds can be thousand miles away. Encouraging others starts with a ministry mindset that says, I am going to consider the needs of the person that's in front of me now and how I might push them and love them with my words. Opportunities for ministry and encouragement will be unrecognized unless we consciously choose the goal of ministry as you talk to people. Opportunities for encouragement will arise as you lovingly focus on people's needs and ask intentional questions when you're in front of them. Point three, and we'll close with this. If motivated by love, you target others' needs, there will be encouragement. First, encourage others with your words. Second, considering their needs at hand. Third, encouragement is best given in relationships. Point three, encouragement is best given in relationships. Now, at the time when Hebrews was written, I think a lot of people, for various reasons, were skipping getting together. They weren't coming together in fellowship. And they had legitimate reasons. Maybe they were fearful of being persecuted. Maybe they were fearful of what their family might be thinking. But they didn't come together. They didn't have the habit of worshiping together. And notice what he says there in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. You see, it means the rather regular gathering together of believers in a particular place is what he commands us to do. He says, don't neglect that. Don't abandon meeting regularly with the believers. And notice this, my friends. He is connecting your spiritual encouragement with coming together of the believers. In other words, in this chapter, he's talking about persevering in the faith, and he's saying the way that you're going to be encouraged spiritually so that you grow and persevere and understand the gospel is by not neglecting the gathering together of believers. So when you get together as believers, part of our job then is to encourage one another so that we might persevere in the faith. In other words, I'll say it like this. You are part of God's means of grace for me to persevere in the faith and vice versa. As you understand what's going on in my life and speak the truth, of the gospel to me. Now, to be able to encourage people well, two things are needed. Relationship, one, and truth, second. If the work of the teacher, which is what I'm doing, is to present truth to the body, the work of the body then is to encourage each other in those relationships with that truth. Now, I find that often this doesn't happen. Often we have relationships on one hand, and there's very little truth there. Let me give you an example. Often we have relationships, but we never encourage each other with the great truths, and the result is just shallow sentimentalism. So you might have lots of great relationships where you get together with believers, but you're never finding out their need you're never taking truth and applying it to the need, and it just is a social club. It's just shallow sentimentalism. But on the flip side, relationship 
Truth without relationship comes across as condemnation. On the flip side, sometimes we never take time to find out or to build deep relationships with people. We just want to hit them over the head with truth. And what that does is it comes across as condemnation, doesn't it? Let me tell you a story. Years ago, uh, I was working in a particular church, and I began to notice that there were three or four families that the men were very keen, excited, wanted to worship when they came to church, but the ladies were not. And so originally I judged falsely. I said, oh, these ladies, what's wrong with them? Maybe they're not believers. They've got a hard heart. But what I began to find is I began to dig was that there was a matriarch of the church. And when young ladies came into the church, she would size up their needs quite quickly. And without any relationship at all, she would strike. She would come along beside them without any relationship and pouncing, quoting scripture, giving books, offering prayer, but never actually developing a relationship with these ladies. You know how they felt? Frustrated, pressured, condemned, discouraged. You see, my friends, relationship has got to always precede ministry. If we are commanded to encourage people, the only way to effectively do that is to get together with the body of believers, build those relationships with the eyes on their needs. And so, before I just finish, what I'm saying is, as our community develops as a church, as we develop deeper relationships, that opens the door for me to know what's happening in your life and you to know what's happening in my life so that you can take truth and apply it in a non-condemning way. And I receive it because it's coming from a friend who I know loves me and cares about me. How do we think and live this? How do we take this from your head to your heart so it affects the way you live this week? And there's just four things. And First is this. Be slow in your speech. Be slow in your speech. Proverbs 18, 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shameful. Why slow? Because you are concentrating on their words. You are listening to what they are saying. You're not just waiting for your turn to speak or turn the conversation back towards you. You are truly attending what they are saying, listening to their problems. They are generally not looking for advice and will not receive your biblical encouragement until they have felt well-loved and listened to you. Why slow? Because you're praying the Holy Spirit would give you insight to how to minister to this person. So often I'm doing counseling with someone and I am just quiet because I don't know what to say and I'm praying, Holy Spirit, show me how to minister to this person. And that means we need to be slow to respond as we listen. Second, be slow in your speech. Second, be gentle in your speech. Proverbs 15:4. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Gentle words does not mean soft-spoken words. That's not what he's talking about. It's not about your tone. It's your motivation. Are your words seasoned with grace? It's very important with encouraging people with truth that usually people don't get offended by the message of truth, but how we present it with a harsh, 
cold, crushing spirit rather than seasoning our words with grace and kindness. Third, be slow, be gentle, be selfless in your speech. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Perhaps the number one obstacle in having a church that's well encouraged is our great desire for self-glory and self-satisfaction in our conversations. We love to talk about ourselves. We love to put ourselves in the spotlight. And often we guide conversations right back to me. One of the hardest and most selfless things you can do, my friends, is to be committed to selflessly loving others in your words. So instead of being committed to your own glory through your words, you're committed to pushing people in your words to the greatness of Christ so they might love and grow in good deeds. Fourth and final, and we'll stop here. What must be true of my life before I can encourage others? Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus teaches us where all ability to encourage people comes from. It doesn't come from learning techniques. It comes from his Holy Spirit dwelling in you. It's not about you having the right answer or postcard type words at just the right time. It's about the Holy Spirit in your life using you. And the incredible thing is, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If his spirit dwells in your heart, then he will give you the gracious ability to consider others' needs and to encourage them. And this comes from him. And so, just last few thoughts. is It really is the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to encourage each other in our walk. And this is the ministry that Christ has given you by the power of the Spirit so that we as a church might persevere, love the Savior to the end. Lord, I just, I praise you right now and I thank you so much for the Spirit. Thank you for Christ who cleanses us. Thank you, Lord, for the biblical call of encouragement. God, I know that many come here on Sunday mornings and they're discouraged. They feel like they're running the race and they're, 10 miles to go, and all they're getting from people around them are discouraging messages. Lord, I pray that our church, Father, would be a home, a house of encouragement. Lord, that when people come here, struggling believer, strong believer, Lord, that they would have conversations and they would be well-loved and we selflessly could take the truth of your word Listen and apply it, oh God, to people so that we might take up this ministry of encouragement. And through that, those who are struggling might persevere and finish the race well. It is through the encouragement of believers that you give grace to each other. And so we thank you for using us in this race. In Jesus' name, amen.